and welcome to Homegrown History with Limestone County archivist Rebecca Davis and longtime Athens, Alabama native Richard Martin. Each episode, Richard and Rebecca bring to life some of the famous and infamous stories etched in Limestone County's rich history. Hello and welcome back to Homegrown History. This is your Limestone County History Podcast and I'm your host, Rebecca Davis. I'm the archivist at the Limestone County Archives here in Athens, Alabama. I'm here today with my co-host. I'm Richard Martin, the oldest one here. That's right, Richard, an Athens native as well. And today we have a super special treat for you all. Today our guest is Doug Wales. Doug is also a Limestone County native and he is a master storyteller. So I cannot wait for us all to listen to some stories today between him and Richard. And he's also a master craftsman in plaster work and uh, has his own masonry business. But Doug is just a real Limestone County treasurer, and he's also a good friend. So with that, Doug, welcome. Well, thank you so much. I am Doug Wells, and I'm not quite as old as Richard, but (laughs) I'll tell you what. I would have had Social Security number one if he hadn't pushed in front of me in line. That's that's true. (laughs) So there's just a couple years age difference. So we'll just say y'all are contemporaries and you're just as handsome as the day you were born. How about that? I I ain't going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen a handsome man. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, today we are going to just talk a little bit or I'm not going to talk. Well, I'm going to let Doug and Richard talk a little bit about some of the things that you both remember from growing up here. Doug growing up out in the county in East Limestone and on a farm that now is completely surrounded by subdivision after subdivision. And Richard growing up here in town in Athens. And both of you growing up as kids in the, I'm, I'm aging y'all a little bit, but 30s and 40s and 50s. So first of all, tell me a little bit about how you two intersected with each other even when y'all were kids. Richard, you, your dad owned a store on the square. On the hardware and, store. Mm-hmm. And his, his sister, my mother. Oh, excuse me. His mother worked for my father up at the Martin Hardware in 1953. And uh, she knew her paintings. I, that's what I remember. Yeah, your dad told me one time, he said, uh, your mother knows more about Curfee's paint than the factory rep does. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was quite a compliment for and, her. And Martin Hardware is up there where the uh, Athens State University up on the square no, is no, on no, the east no, side, no, isn't no, it? No, it's no. up 107 West Washington oh, that's Street. Right. Martin that's Hardware. right. Martin Richardson Malone. Was, that was some of your family, too. That was my grandfather. Oh, See, yes. my mother was a Martin and married a Martin. See, I'm full-blooded. You're a half-breed. <laughs> but now they weren't cousins, like we say. Uh, Everybody that's about the reason I did the genealogy work. <laughs> but, okay, so, Doug, tell me a little bit about what it was like for you growing up out in East Limestone. Oh, my goodness. It was a very pleasant experience, actually. Uh, people ask me a lot of times, how did the road get to be Wells Road? said, uh, uh, you must own a lot of property out there. <laughs> and I said, no, that's not really how the roads got their names. Mm-hmm. And I said, back in the mid-50s, if you lived in town uh, and you wanted to telephone, you had one. But there was no service for the county. So in the mid-50s, they started running lines out into the county. Do you remember <laughs> your telephone number? Oh, yes, I do. What was it? 1754W3. Now, the W3 was what? 
But that was to indicate it was the Wells house. All right. Was it a party line? Yes, it was a party line. Eight party Okay, lines. y'all gonna have to explain party lines to some of these young folks. I will here in just a second. Okay, oh, we're already getting started. Let me on. get through one part and then I will <laughs> that one. Anyway, uh when they started running the lines, they would approach people, Do you want a telephone? And then at that time, your address was usually a route number with a box number. It was like route four, box 132. And the telephone company says, well, what road are you on? And we said, the road doesn't have a name. And they said, it does now. It's Wells. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first person who got a phone on a road got the road named for them. (laughs) T.V. Barksdale got the first phone, and it it became Barksdale Road. And and, uh, Ed Ray was the first person on that road to get a phone, so it became Ed Ray Road. I'm so glad you told me that, because I've often wondered who these very prominent people were who who got roads named after them. It turns it out they were just prominent enough to have a telephone. That's right. They were just talkers. There was another way that uh, some roads were named. It was because of destination. Mm -hmm. Nick Davis Road was named because from Athens, that's the only place it went was out to Mr. Nick Davis's house. That's right. And then, uh, like, Highway 72 East was called the Huntsville Highway because that's where it went. Right. And 251 was called the Ardmore Highway because that's where it went. But now 72 West was the Florence Florence Road. A lot of the older maps at the archives still call 72 West the Florence Highway and East the Huntsville Highway. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the way it was there. But now we was talking about the telephones. Sure. An eight-party line meant that instead of running all individual lines to each house, they run a community line, which they took branches off of it mm-hmm. and let those people be on the same line. Now, that meant that if you picked up the phone on that line, you could hear any conversation that somebody else was talking about. That's right. And sometimes you really wanted the phone, and you'd pick it up, and uh, there'd be somebody trying to tell you how to make uh, uh, radish jam. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, wait, now, wait, I'm sorry, radish jam? Yes. Uh, now, now that, I've heard that, of kudzu jelly and all, but I have never had oh, no, radish jam. There was a, a lady in our neighborhood who specialized in root vegetables. Okay, And then. she had figured out that one. Too. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> uh, so uh, you could learn a lot that way, but it wasn't really a courteous thing to listen in on somebody else's conversation. That was just how it happened to be. A lot of times, by accident, you'd pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. If there was nobody talking, the operator would come on and say, Number, please. And you would give them a number. And they would just take the the cord and plug it into that particular party line. So you could call anywhere. As a matter of fact, there was one instance uh, where a soldier overseas had saved up enough money to make a call back to his family in Limestone County. Really? And it was going to cost about $20 for him to make that call. And this was in the 1940s, right? No, this was mid-50s. Okay. And he had saved up enough quarters so that he could put them in that machine and get paid for three-minute conversation with someone in Alabama. 
Well, here's the thing. He put his money in and the operator got connected to our party line and it rang and rang and rang and rang. And some little old lady picked up and said, I don't think they're home. And cost him his $20 and he didn't get to talk to his people. But that's how it was with the party line. (laughs) When you, your party line, when somebody wanted to talk to y'all, did you have so many rings? Yes, we had three rings at our house. So that meant that was your... Yeah, if the phone rang three times consecutively, that meant there was somebody trying to call us. If it rang twice, that was somebody trying to call my grandmother. And if it was just once, it was somebody else. I don't remember who. But that's the way it was. You had a certain number of rings for your house. Mm-hmm. What was your ring signal? We we had 266, and that rang. We didn't have party line, but my uncle and, and grandmother did, too. We have a 1941 phone book oh, yeah. at the archive. We have several old phone books. Yeah. And one of the funny things about that phone book is there was an ad that compared a... Um, a phone off the hook to an unloaded shotgun. It doesn't do you any good if it's not on the hook. So make sure you hang up your phone because people were still getting used to that technology and didn't didn't think about the fact that if you don't hang it up, can't nobody call you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so um, you and y'all were grown up. Of course, you grew up in town. Right. And y'all would come to town on Saturdays. Tell me what it was like for y'all coming to town as a kid, you know, on Saturdays in the summer or whenever. Well, on Saturday was the day you went to town. Mm-hmm. And if you needed something from town during the week, you just put it on a list. Mm-hmm. And then that was what you worked with on Saturday. And it was an all-day affair. Now, my grandfather, he at first had what they called the Little Brick Cafe, which was on the west end of the south side of the square. Okay. That would be uh, I Washington it. Street. Right. And the little brick, he told me that uh, you could stand in the middle of it and touch both walls with your hands <laughs> at the same time. Now, it was kind of deep, but very narrow. Mm-hmm. And it had a cooking station with a little counter and some stools. And you could wiggle in there and get a <laughs> stool if you wanted to. And on Saturdays... He said there wasn't room in the little brick to bring the buns. So the McDonald's bakery from around the corner mm-hmm. would bring the buns and stack them in front of the cafe. And there would be 2,500 buns oh, wow. on Saturday. Wow. And he said at the end of the day, there wouldn't be two buns left. Isn't that something? Wow. And what he did was he, he had his meat mixed with pork and beef right so uh he would say around nine o'clock on saturday if he hadn't had many customers and it was real slow he said i'd throw a few onions on the grill and put the pan where it would blow that scent out on the street and he said the next thing you know they were lined up down the street (laughs) to get hamburgers and he said i would sell 2500 hamburgers for a nickel a piece on saturday wow and that was in the days when business was good for him, and he then moved a little few doors 
farther down and made the Serve You Cafe mm-hmm. where they sold plate lunches there. And you could even get breakfast. A breakfast plate would cost you 60 cents. Oh, wow. That's, that's a, high rolling right there, a, isn't it? A full lunch plate would cost you a dollar and a quarter. Mm-hmm. And another thing, when I was a little boy, this was about the end of World War II, and soldiers would come and get off the train down there at the depot, right. and that big steam train would come in there huffing and puffing and blowing smoke everywhere. And Granddaddy would send me down to the depot and say, if there's any soldier boys gets off that train, tell them to come up here and eat the dinner free because that's what I want to do to help the war effort. Oh, that's, that's cool. great. That's mm-hmm. great. That's great. As a, as a town boy... What was it like for you on Saturday? I'm, I'm just trying to picture 2,500 people coming and going up on, well, at least 2,500 people coming and going up on the square on a Saturday. Oh, that wouldn't start at 2,500 yeah. people. Oh, my goodness. It was just walking room only. I mean, it was. Yeah. What was it like for you, Richard? Well, it was crowded, and uh, I wore shoes. And uh, <laughs> the men, it was against the law to spit on the sidewalk yes. because of the biker and TB. Yes. And uh, you had to dodge that when you walked the sidewalk, so they finally put that in. But it was very crowded, and the crowdest place I remember is between the two 10-cent stores, oh, yes. Coons and V.J. Elmore. Yeah. And everybody wanted to go to those two. They were on the west side, east, east. side, east side of the square. Thank you. And we'd go to the movie on Saturday for a dime and a nickel popcorn, and then we'd go to your hamburger place and eat two hamburgers and a Coke for a quarter. So we thought yeah. we were something. So the so the movie place would y'all be going over to the Ritz, Ritz. on the Marion Street. Now was the plaza still open? The plaza was still open. We'd go that in the afternoon. Okay, so the if plaza, the weather's bad, yes. So the plaza for folks who don't know was over on the South Side Square on Washington Street, about middle of the block, and then the Ritz was where Marion Street Church Christ That's is right. now. Over it used there. to be the Baptist Church. That's right, it and they turned it into a theater. So, um, so I know both of y'all had talked to me about how y'all would just sort of make the rounds on Saturday, wouldn't you? What would you oh, do, yeah. Doug? Well, uh, now, I was pretty young in those days when we would come to town on Saturdays. But I remember Papa, that's what we called my grandfather, uh, he had an old 39 Plymouth that had a trunk big enough to put five dead bodies in. That's right. And uh, anyway, on Saturday... He would have the list from the farm from where our great-grandparents lived, and he would come to town and get whatever groceries and things were needed and put them in that trunk. And I remember one Saturday, he said, you know, I can't get another thing in this trunk. And he had bought enough groceries to fill up that trunk for $6. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Those were the days, weren't they? Yeah. And the part that impressed me the most is he would buy me and my sister a candy bar. And that was all the candy you got because kids didn't get candy in those days. Mm -hmm. And he would buy us a candy bar. And sometimes it would be a Hershey bar and we'd have to split it. 
But yeah. that we looked forward to that. If we stayed at the farm and he came to town, when he came back, he had the candy bar. Nice. Yeah. Well, and that was a real treat. Tell the story <clears throat> that you told me a story years ago that I still tell to all of the fourth graders when I go and talk about the Roland store. Which yes. Explain a little bit about what the Roland store okay. was. Okay, Roland. Yeah, a rolling store is like a peddler. It was almost like a school bus in size. And inside, he had a, a, a little store. Everything, the shelves were all uh, loaded with groceries and things. And uh, on the back of there, he would have chicken coops. And those chicken coops may have some chickens in it or may not. But what happened is, if you didn't have money, you could trade a chicken to the peddler to buy groceries and things out of the peddler. Now, he would had a horn on the bus-like, and he would blow that horn to give you time to get out to the road and buy whatever you was going to buy. And Mother would give us sometimes a, a penny, and we'd go out, and we would get a sucker, mm-hmm. and you'd get one. But there was two of us. And sometimes we had our cousins there. It'd be more than two of us. And Mother would take that sucker and turn a spoon over and hit it and break it into little pieces and divide it among everybody. Mm -hmm. And we were very happy over it, you know. (laughs) We had a little taste of something sweet there, you know. (laughs) So what could you buy with a chicken? Well, we would bring a chicken to town and trade it over at the Farmer's Exchange or Mr. Richter at the meat market would buy it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he'd buy that, and we'd get 50 cents for a good fat hen. And we could take that 50 cents, and we could go to the picture show for a dime and get the popcorn for a nickel. And then if you had enough left, you could go over to the plaza and see another Western. And uh, anyway, uh, a chicken uh, in those days would get you quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And we had plenty of chickens on the farm because we raised them out there. Uh-huh. And we'd just pick up a fat hen and go to town. And uh, see, this was the end of the Depression. And people just didn't have money. And as you made money, you didn't spend it. You right. tried to hold on to it. So it would be better off to trade a chicken for you what you wanted mm-hmm. instead of paying cash for mm-hmm. it. And I remember my daddy worked for C.C. Taylor down at Taylor's Barbecue. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, and he, it's still there. That It has the right. traditional old barber pole okay. out front. Okay. Next to Richardson and Dean. Oh, so that's where they're making the ale house. Now. Yes. Okay. On Washington Street. Yeah. And he would uh, cut the hair for a quarter head, mm-hmm. and a shave was a dime. He cut my hair. And I'm sure he did. That's where I went. Yeah. But that was the deal. And uh, Daddy would work there, and he would get off about 9 o'clock on Saturday night. Right. And next door, Red Bennett had right. a cafe. Athens Cafe. Athens Cafe next door. And Mother and I would come to town, and my little sister, we'd come to town, and we'd eat supper there at that restaurant waiting on Daddy to get off from work at 9 o'clock. And that was part of our routine on Saturdays as I was growing up. And I had plenty of contact with town, but yet I grew up on the farm. And right. The thing I liked about Saturday is uh, the preachers would come up on the square. Oh, yes. And they looked like they were mad. <laughs> and they get to screaming and yelling, and then another preacher would disagree with him, and he would get to shouting the loudest. So us boys were hoping they'd go get in a fight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we said, to them, maybe they're going to fight. Let's see what they're going to And we didn't pay a bit of attention to their 
message, we were more interested in they were going to fight. <laughs> did anybody ever fight? I don't think so, but they did a lot of yelling. They were turning the other cheek, weren't right. they? Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you ate at Athens Cafe on Saturday night. We had the Martin Hardware next door, yeah. <laughs> and Daddy didn't come home to about 9 o'clock yeah. on Saturday night. And all the merchants stayed open on Saturday night because everybody could walk around and shop during oh, the yes. night. And uh-huh. it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. But now the farmers were your daddy's bread and butter, weren't they? Oh, yes. tell, them, tell us a little bit about that. Well, we had the hardware. And yeah. It was the, the superstore at the time where you get a little bit of everything, the local hardware store. And we had the John Deere business. Mm-hmm. We started the John Deere. The first John Deere tractor was sold in 1933. Mr. Williamson bought it. From your dad? From my father. Oh, they cool. became real close friends and all like that. And then, you know, the John Deere business was a big business at the time. Farmers were finally getting into using that instead of horses, a muse. And people would bring their muse in to trade it off for a tractor. And one man brought a mule in and had it painted when it wouldn't show the gray. And my daddy was examining the mule. And he put his hand up and saw all that black stuff on it, so he knew what he was doing. <laughs> Another man sneaky, brought sneaky. a cow that only had two tits. It didn't have three tits. <laughs> so they were trying to move that off for him, too. But anyway, they were well, it's, it's like trading in a car nowadays. <laughs> but anyway, he's right. Saturday was a big day, and we all had fun. And we couldn't ride our bicycles because the crowds were too big, and the mm-hmm. farmers would come up, and back into their truck, they'd open it up and be selling watermelons, uh, cantaloupes, and there's a picture of all the farmers eating all those watermelons mm-hmm. one Saturday up on the square. Yes. If, if anybody is interested, if you go to limestonearchives.com to our digital archives, we do have a lot of pictures of what it was like during the 40s and 50s. I, I'm pretty sure we have the picture you're talking about where you can see all the farmers on the east side of the square with their trucks and their watermelons and their mules and all of that. And sometimes there would be uh, an auctioneer have all kinds of a thing strode out on the courthouse lawn right. and would run an auction. That's and right. people would uh, would come to town just to see that. I mm-hmm. mean, whatever, Saturday was, uh, the town was where you went on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And to see everybody else, you knew. Yeah, of course. And I remember one time there was a man that lived down the road from us out there on Wells Road. His name was Mr. Norton. And Mr. Norton still had a horse and buggy. And he would drive that buggy to town on Saturday morning. He'd get the early start so he could get to town and spend all day and then get home by what they called milking time. Mm-hmm. So y'all would literally party until the cows had to come home, oh, right? That was a big deal with us. It seemed that it was a dairy farm. Mm-hmm. We had a dairy farm there. And I, I've got a big long story about that. Well, so go ahead sometime, and tell it. Well, my grandfather ran the dairy. Now, this was after he had sold the Perserview Cafe. Mm-hmm. He came back to the farm because my great-grandparents lived there. They all lived together. And he ran the dairy, and he had 40 or 50 cows to milk, which was a little too much for one man. <laughs> so he had some of the neighborhood men hired to come and help him, in that, especially in the afternoons. And when they would drive to our house... Uh, their children would ride with the daddies, and they would play with us down in the front yard. And we'd play, we'd swap knives or play with yo-yos or play croquet or whatever, you know. But uh, anyway, there was this one kid, 
Uh, his name was Van. Now, Van and I couldn't play together without getting into it. <laughs> it was just going to be that way every day. And Van, uh, he was kind of a little chubby fella, and he always wore a T-shirt to come down about halfway. <laughs> and uh, and being chubby, everything kind of hung out all <laughs> over his dungarees, you know. And anyway... Um, Van was a good-natured person, but we just we we couldn't wait to get together the next day and play. But still, we was gonna get into it about something. Well, this one day I had brought a payday candy bar from school, and I laid it over on the stump next to the croquet court, and I was gonna have it after I'd done whooped him a couple of games. <laughs> well, it wasn't long till Van claimed that was his candy bar. And I knew it wasn't. I knew I had laid it over. He said he'd bought it from the peddler and laid it there. <laughs> well, anyway, you couldn't stand to watch him eat a payday candy bar anyway. He'd stand it up and peel the wrapper off of it like he was peeling a banana. <laughs> then he'd turn that thing sideways and gnaw all the nuts off of it like he was eating <laughs> corn on the cob. And then after he got that done, he'd lick and lick and lick that center and run you crazy just licking it. So the more we argued about that candy bar, the madder I got. The next thing you know, I picked up that croquet mallet and I hit him right between the eyes with it. Oh my Boy, he fell backwards on the ground, flopping around, his eyes going every which way and scared the daylights out of me. I went running out to the dairy barn, and I said, Mr. Gordon, come quick, something's wrong with Ann. And he said, what's the matter with him? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and he said, well, what's he acting like? And I said, he's acting kind of like he got hit between the eyes with a croquet hat. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, when we got back out to the croquet court, he sat over on the stump, and I almost had the nuts gnawed off of my candy bar. <laughs> and I thought, I just didn't hit him hard enough. But that's, that's kind of the way it went when we were kids. <laughs> Wait a minute. Did you ever get in a fight with anybody over a candy bar, uh, Richard? Over a fish. Oh, tell, tell it, tell it. We would, we would <laughs> go fishing down the little creek below our house. And I never could catch anything. And my friend Steve Allen caught a fish, and it made me so mad that he caught that fish. So he took it around and showed everybody off. And my daddy had a knife with sawtooth on and I got so mad I took that sawtooth knife and cut his head with it. <laughs> wait, wait, the fish's head or Steve's head? Steve's head. <laughs> and blood came everywhere. He started screaming, I did too. Oh, my mother and daddy whipped me real bad, and then I had to go back down and He's all right. He didn't have to have stitches. He did all right, but... He wanted to get a knife and cut me, too. I bet I he did. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Back then, you just rub some dirt on it, and That's you're good, right? right? Term time. <laughs> oh, goodness. Term time. Yeah. Term time sugar. Mm -hmm. So now, you Maybe. grew up over there on Prior Street. Street. I know you talked about that earlier in one of our earlier episodes, uh, close to the college. Yeah. You've been working on a book about right. your family and what right. it was like growing up here, but I know you were talking about going swimming at the pool, and you had to have your typhoid shots and all that. Tell us a little bit about well, where each, the pool was and what it was like for y'all going swimming and coming to town and playing. Uh, each summer, it, right before school was out, they would come and we'd have to take typhoid fever shots. And that's the reason why I can't understand why people don't go get shots now. But anyway, then we would go to the city pool 
and we'd go by bike or walk either way. And now, where was it? The city pool is down where the Big Spring Park is now, and the dressing room house is still standing. The what do you pavilion? What's now the pavilion? The pavilion now. But anyway, that water would come from that spring, and that was the coldest water on Sunday. And then by Monday and Tuesday, it was okay. But on Tuesday night, they'd take it out and refill it. But we would go swimming during the summer months every day. Your mother would go on, go on, go swimming. <laughs> and then up above the swimming pool on a hill, there was Athens Laundry. And it had, old, what was that whistle called? They had a big bin, and he'd blow it at 12. Well, everybody had to go home and eat. We all knew that. And when we go home, Mother would have lunch for all of us. But that's, we had a blast. And didn't y'all, y'all have to climb over a pipe until your brother made a bridge? Yeah, Tell about that. Well, we were, the city creek ran through my grandfather's property where the cemetery is now in Hobbs Street. And uh, we would cut across that away, and there was a sewage pipe there. And uh, we would cross that sewage pipe. Walker is a huge one. And so the little boy's feet could do it, but the girls wouldn't do it. They would jump the creek or wade through the creek. And then we'd go up to the cemetery and then come down to the city pool that way. So it was lots of fun. And, of course, we always said, if you're going through the graveyard, watch out for the ghost. <laughs> and uh, that made a lot of fun out of that. Mm-hmm. Well, now, did y'all have a swimming hole y'all would get into when you were out there in the county? Yes. Uh, there was one on uh, Piney Creek. And it would be back off the road a little. And... Um, there was one fella that lived in the community out there that was always uh, really up on everything. He kind of led the boys. He was older than them. And he had them go in there and help stack rocks around where it would be good enough to dive and be a nice swimming hole. And he said, now we're going to call this Vandenberg Plunge. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> so when I was a little kid, uh, that's where we all went. And that was had been my daddy's favorite swimming hole when he was a little boy. Mm-hmm. So we would go there, and then there was one thing about it. Uh, when some ladies or a uh, mixed family would be coming down the creek, they would holler way down the creek, has everybody got clothes on? That's right. That's because right. a lot of us didn't have. That's right. <laughs> skinny uh, dipping. That's skinny dipping. So uh, if... Uh, if everybody had a bathing suit or a short pants or something on, then the ladies would come on or the uh, little girls, whatever. Right. But that was just a standard thing. You right. you yelled ahead to make sure you wasn't going to catch a bunch right. of naked That's men right. down there. That's right. That's right. That's funny. Well, we've about run out of time on this episode, but how about we stop the conversation here for today and so we can come back for the next time and talk a little bit more about going to school and your teenage years and so on. Does that sound like a plan? You don't want to stick around? Yeah, that'd be fun. But I'm telling you, we may make this 10 episodes in a row. I'm having so much fun listening to y'all's stories, and I have a feeling we just got started. So with that, I'm going to sign off for today. And Richard and Doug. Yes, sir. Thank you, Doug, for coming. Yeah. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And y'all come back for part two of our conversation with Doug Wells here on Homegrown History, your Limestone County, Alabama history podcast. We will see y'all again next time. You've been listening to Homegrown History, presented by the Athens Limestone County Public Library and the Limestone County Archives in Athens, Alabama. 
For more information and to submit questions or suggestions for our history podcast, please visit limestonearchives.com. And to hear other recordings from our Library Voices series, check out our website at alcpl.org. You can also listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.